Hello and welcome to this edition of Good Works in the Heartland. So I was reading through the Kansas News press release and saw that there was a new book by a professor of gerontology at KU dealing with downsizing. And I think that's a very pertinent topic for all of us, so I invited him to be on the show. So David, would you go ahead and introduce yourself? Yes, I'm David Eckert and I am a professor uh, in the gerontology program and in the sociology department at the University of Kansas. And the title of your book is? It is Downsizing, Confronting Our Possessions in Later Life. There's a, been a concern for a long time about older people and their relocation and often their reluctance to move. And we decided to select out the topic of how older people manage their possessions when they move from larger to smaller quarters in later life. Almost everyone agrees uh, not about the necessity of moving, but people cannot move until they deal with their things. And this is perceived as something of a predicament. Uh, families think this way. Older people themselves think this way. Um, social workers, lawyers, um, practically everyone agrees that there's a predicament with possessions and that people sometimes can be in danger of being prisoners of their things. Um, unable to move because of this uh, task that faces them. So we wanted to understand people's experience in doing it, how they proceeded, um, who helped them, and how they felt about what they did. So did you uh, interview a variety of people, talk with families? How did you come up with the, the subject? I do have to admit I did not read your book because I haven't made the effort to uh, try and track it down since I can't just walk into the bookstore and grab one. Well, it's in the library at KU now. As it is, okay. I don't know if it's checked out. But um, the, the, way we, the way we proceeded, and we're um, grateful to funding from the, from the National Institutes of Health for supporting this research, is we interviewed people who had, been in the la who had moved within the last year in about 130 households in, uh, in the United States in many of them in the Lawrence area, and if anyone is listening and might have been participating in this, I'm very grateful for your help. Also the Kansas City area, and finally uh, in the area, uh, Detroit, Michigan, in the center city of uh, Detroit, Michigan. And the reason for that was uh, when we were proposing this research, people would say, well, that's only a problem that affluent people have, um, this downsizing and having over full homes. And so we decided we'd look into that. And of course, it's not only a problem that affluent people have. And uh, the other thing that we did is we put some questions into a large national survey asking people about their possessions and older adults about their possessions in moving and whether they perceive a problem or not. What do you? What was your your age range? What's considered older? People. Oh, most of our people were over the age of sixty-five. Primarily, though, people in their seventies and eighties, maybe a few ninety-year-olds as well. And were these people who had moved, or were they people who were getting ready to move, or kind of a mixture? Well, we started doing it in the middle of the Great Recession. We we planned it all out. And we were going to interview people and follow them through, interview them before and after. But the chances of moving became very unpredictable. Mainly we're basing our opinions on people who did move. And within the first 
uh, three months to one year so that the experience was fresh in their mind. We also, by the way, interviewed sometimes their family members for their separate take on what happened. I bet that was interesting. It is interesting, yes, yes. I was talking with some, some friends of mine. I'm in my mid-50s, and our parents have all either made that transition or are thinking about it. And um, that was one of the things they talked about. They said, you know, I, my kids don't want my stuff. I don't want my mom's stuff. What, what, do, you, what do you do? What do you do with the stuff? Is that, is that kind of the common thought, or is there yeah, a train that's... of sharing family heirlooms? Well, it's very common um, for people to say that. And, you know, we offered it to the kid. That's sort of the first thing people think of doing uh, for the things that they're not going to take with them. They think of giving them um, to family members. We'll see if somebody wants something. And a common report back is, well, they really didn't want very much or um, uh, they weren't interested or something like that. And I think there's good reasons why the children are not interested especially if some if you're in your 70s or 80s your children have fully stocked households they already have a house that has all of the the crescent wrenches and flower pots right. and uh, teacups that it needs and so it wouldn't be unsurprising if people would try to fend that off now um the unopportunity when we come into this sort of this age mix of maybe people with fully formed houses uh, uh households is perhaps bequeathing things to grandchildren or grandnieces who may be forming their households, who may be looking for materials that they can use, appliances they can have, um, linens they may need, uh, the whole thing. The other thing is when we ask people, did your kids want a lot of things? We don't know how much were they trying to push off on their children as right. well. Um, right. So, I think there's always concern for heirlooms and things, very special things in a family. I think all the generations agree that some things should be protected. But Lori, there are so many things in a household um, that are not special. They're just ordinary and mundane. And there's a lot of things that have been completely forgotten about. Lori, do you know what's under the sink in your kitchen? You don't know what's there. Not everything, no. No, you no. don't. And then I think about my mother's kitchen. Oh, my goodness. I, she couldn't tell you what was under the sink. So, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But what, on, on that topic, though, what I always would like to say to family members, that if um, people are offering things, you should be grateful that they're taking the initiative to um, downsize their possessions and perhaps in order to move. It saves you the trouble of doing it someday. But it also, if they offer you things, I think you should take them. Um, don't sit there and say, oh, ma, that's not my style. That's not my taste. You should just shut up and take the things and then take some more. You should, the real gift is in receiving things. That's the gift that you can give people. And so you should affirm the giver with open arms. And that doesn't mean you necessarily have to go keep it and shove it in a closet in your home, just it's the accepting. Well, I think oftentimes uh, the people who are moving know that it's not going to be permanently enshrined in their homes, though there is a problem of people wanting to come over and visit their things. And that may be another reason why older adults, uh, why uh, the second generation doesn't want to curate someone else's collection of things. Where are those teacups that I gave you? 
Somebody was telling me this last night. A mother comes over and is looking for the teacups. Well, mom. They're in I a gave box. those to Goodwill six years ago. Oh, yeah. That... Anyway, something has to give. Yeah. So talk about the, um, the, so the people, the people that are downsizing and they're willing to curate their stuff prior to, or the knowledge that they're going to be moving within a year or six months. What are some tactics for the people that are not so open to downsizing? Um, when I went to visit my mom to help them start that process, every time I would come, she'd say, Oh, we'll deal with, I just want to visit with you now. We'll deal with that next time. And it kept getting pushed off and pushed off. So is that also a common reaction? And do you have tips for how to deal with that? I think, I think most people understand that what they have in their households, something is going to have to happen to it. Um, it even if that's up the line or someday or eventually, I think everyone understands that something will have to be done with those things. Um, but their readiness to do it um, you may be dragging their feet. Now, if there was a magic switch we could flip to get people to do things like exercise more or rotate their tires or save more for retirement or floss their teeth, or what, I'd, we'd all like to know what it is. I, I think that um, the child generation should always, always offer to help, um, can perhaps bring up instances of, of cautionary tales of other people that they would know in common. Remember Mr. So-and-so up, up the street, when Mr. Smith up the street, when he moved, remember what a, what a chore it was for his family? Are you, are you gonna put that on me? Um, another thing uh, they can do, uh, the family generation can do, is offer to pay for it. Now, not, not everybody can do that, um, but there are professionals who help people move and they, charge hourly and they might come for a consultation it might get things going it might make it um, make it more um, conceivable because it is and, it is a lot when you look at a whole household it like you said it's a lot you've got the stuff under the sink and the stock in the cabinet right. and the stuff in the other room it's a lot right and, the, and should should you be divesting as you're going along in later life or should you wait up until the last minute when you're going to move and I think there's a good reason for waiting until the last minute because you don't know where you're going and you don't know what you'll need. Will I need flower pots? Will I need my tools? Will I have, how much wall space will I have for hanging things that I want to keep? How many bookshelves book can I get in there? Um, you just don't know and so you don't want to pull a trigger too fast. At the, um, but at the same time, um, you're going to be in, it, in our experience, the people we interviewed, the most common span of time they had for working on this was about six weeks to two months. And in that period of time, if you don't get started on it, you are really in for some hard work. You're going to have to cut down maybe by half or more the amount of yeah. things you have. And that's a horrible time crunch. That is a horrible time crunch and a deadline, especially if you've committed uh, to moving. So, you can do it in advance. I mean, the arguments are all there um, for doing it in advance, uh, a little bit at a time. You have more control over the process. You're not have that stress of a deadline bearing down on you. You have more time. If you're going to give things away, you can cultivate, try to cultivate recipients for heirlooms. 
um, you know, find just the right home uh, for something. Somebody's going to have a wedding and they would love that carving board that's been in our family forever. The other thing is when people go to sell things, it takes a while for sales processes to play out, to get the right price. You maybe negotiate, you have to wait and have patience. If something, if you're trying to sell something, especially through somebody else. And another reason is the privacy. Uh, you, there are things that you just don't want held up for inspection. When, <laughs> if, the, if, if, if your younger relatives are in the house, you just don't want them looking at things and holding them up. And this gives you a chance to protect your privacy um, in, in a much calmer way. But the, there's so much inertia toward this that people are going to wait till the last minute. There's so talk, talk about your demographics. Again, you said you did Lawrence, Kansas City, and then you, you did near Detroit, Michigan to get a disparity in um, income levels. It's not just a problem for the rich. Did you also do, did you do any research ethnically? No, I didn't break it out that way. What we did do was we looked at people who were moving to senior subsidized senior housing, which would indicate okay. a lower income level. And we compared them. We had a nice slice of our people were moving to pretty handsome retirement communities. And we compared them coming to the conclusion that the, um, the people who were going to the very nice retirement communities had more money and more time and greater ability to control what happened. Um, in some cases, they were able to move and then dispose of things in the old house. In other words, oh. they would move and then go back and take care of things. But that's really only available to people who can afford perhaps two mortgages, two utility bills, right. um, and, and, and uh, two taxes, for example, in two places over an overlapping period of a few months. So... That also gives you a lot of time and, re and relaxation, but it, it costs more money to do that. Why the, sub, the subtitle of confronting our possessions? That sounds almost angry. Confront, confrontation is, you know, is not necessarily connotated with happiness. Um, I'm assuming that's an intentional title. Did you find there was that kind of antagonistic relationship? Well, people were, I have a long page, a couple of pages in the book where people talk about how surprised they were with what they had. You know, one of the, the, the virtuous way of conducting yourself or, or keeping house is to put things away and put things away and put things away. And that's what makes a nice looking house. Um, and so we have this backstage areas of the house uh, an attic, a garage, a closet, a drawer, where we've been putting things away and putting things away on top of things we already put away. And when you start to downsize, these things come rushing out and it gets very, uh, quite chaotic. Um, and, and, it, and it can be a felt burden, not, you know, I really ought to go out there and look at that shed or that garage or the trunk of my car, really. Um, I don't do that. And to um, really to confront, to, there's, you're going to have to have a reckoning with these things if, if you're going to move. And this was the genius of many home organizers um, and the home organization advice is that you get everything out and look at it until you get everything out and look at it. And I guess that's maybe the sense of 
confrontation. Um, I'm sure you've probably heard this advice, take everything out of the closet and look at it. Um, you're not going to, you, there's, some, there's always something else to do that day than uh, dig through a closet or a uh, um, cupboard or boxes and so on and so forth. So yeah, I was yeah, shocked. I, go ahead. I, I was shocked to find recently. I was looking for some um, insurance papers, and I pulled the boxes out of the closet where I keep the important papers. And there were a couple of other boxes that had photos in them. I have an entire paper box filled with elementary school schoolwork from my daughters who are now in their twenties. I was like, why? I didn't realize I had an entire box filled with stuff they brought home, their drawings, their pictures, their certificates. And I think of myself as, a, as somebody who, you know, tidies up and I throw things away and I'm not sentimental. I was shocked to see that I had an, and, and they made fun of me, of course, as your children will, to have an entire box that I had forgotten existed in that cabinet that was just stuff, papers. People, people tell stories like that on themselves all the time, Lori. They're sheepish about what, you know, I just didn't know that all that scrap lumber in the basement, there was a whole trailer load of it. Um, no, people, people don't realize what they have. And, and until you get it out and look at it, um, it will have to be dealt with. It's interesting that you talk about paper. Um, paper is such a, it stops so much progress. You know, it lies there, it's very compact. But going through paper is quite a chore. All of the all of the paper that's in a house. And that's something you can't really delegate to other people. They don't know what, what those things are and you've been keeping manuals for appliances and you've got insurance bills and medical histories and uh, yes, and yeah. souvenirs from your children. Yes, we have people in the book who are talking about getting out, you know, the little ribbons that their kids got in the second or the third grade and yeah. they just, it I found the Girl Scout, you know, the Girl Scout jackets with their little patches on them. Yeah. Again, I don't know why I saved those, but... And you asked them, Lori, whether they wanted them? Yes, guess what? They're, they're back in the closet, back in that <laughs> box. So um, it'll be up to well, me. They just kept saying, why did you save this? Why did you save, why did you save that picture? Why did you uh, save? And I just kept saying, moms are weird. I don't know. I saved it. I, I don't know. Well, it, it's preserving an idea of yourself, you know, that you, that you like. They're, you know, that's symbolizing, you know, somebody you were or somebody you are, and um, that, makes, that makes you happy. And if you can continue to accommodate all of that stuff, host it, um, you're going to have sh room on that shelf, then by all means, keep it. So you're not an advocate for purging as you go and... Um... I am, but I realize that people are not, are not probably not going to do not that. Not going to do that. Um, Did you find any difference between um, like couples, um, widowed or single people, um, uh, long married as, as opposed to second marriage? Did you find any differences among those people well, downsizing? Married couples that, you know, can share the, the, the work. Um, as long as they're on the same page, and it, it happens occasionally that couples are not on the same page about how much to get rid of. There's, we talked to a woman, in fact, more than one woman said, I'm done with entertaining. I'm not doing that anymore. No more Christmas dinner, no more Thanksgiving dinner. Let the kids do that from now on. 
and they're just ready to be finished with that, they've decided that that's not me. And so when you make that decision, all kinds of cooking utensils and entertainment uh, things and platters and fancy glasses can go. But if your spouse, um, and in this case it was a husband, the woman was going to get rid of her china hutch in the dining room and the dining room table and a sideboard, the whole thing, the whole thing was going up for sale. Her husband was furious because um, it, it was his idea of presiding at the end of the table. That's what, you know, he, he liked that very much and she was ready to be, for that all to be over. So there can be differences of opinion. I, I would also say in a married couple, it falls more heavily on, on women to take care of this. There's female parts of the house and male parts of the house and they retreat to their respective corners and clean up their areas. Um, but it falls more heavily on women. Now, I'm terrified of the garage, the garage slash man cave. I'm, I'm terrified of having to <laughs> clear out that type of space. Yes. Um, now you mentioned widows and widowers. Um, they have different reactions. Some of them hold the possessions of their late spouse very close because they feel that that keeps the spouse with them um, right. and with them. Others, uh, widowed spouses, push it away because it makes them too sad. Uh, it makes them, um, it makes their heart heavy to see these things that they enjoyed together, they perhaps bought together. Um, so they, so they may have different reactions to these things. Another, <laughs> another thing is that the uh, children are often involved in these stories, in these downsizing stories. But sometimes children can obstruct; they can object to having things, leave it there, mom, you know, he's, you know, he's just dead a year, just leave his jacket there on the hook where he left it. And so they can obstruct or they can stop because the household is also in a way belongs to them. And mm -hmm. it's part of their cells are in that household and disturbing that will upset them. So there are different ways that, that, that this goes uh, within families. So let's pause here real quickly. Tell us how, how people can find your book, where they can find it, how they can order it, and all of that important stuff. It's uh, Columbia University Press. And again, the title is Downsizing, Confronting Our Possessions in Later Life. All you need to do is search, use a search term in the internet, go Eckert to my last name and downsizing, and you'll go right to it. And on, at Columbia University Press, if you buy it from their website, I can give you a promotion code where you would get a 30% discount. So the promotion code would be CUP for Columbia University Press 30 for the 30% discount. 30, okay. CUP well, thank you. 30. Is this available in audio format? Do you know if I, it's, if there's know. any in? I don't know. It is available as an ebook, but the okay. audio, I don't know yet. Okay. Yeah, the ebook um, and Library of Congress. Maybe I don't know how they what their relationship is either to make it available through the Talking Books program. But I was just little little interesting aside, just personally there whether it was available that way. How can people um, uh, get in touch with you specifically? They can write to me at my KU email address, which is my first initial D and my last name Eckert D E K E R D T at ku.edu, D-E-K-E-R-D-T at 
ku.edu, or if they find their way to the website, Columbia University Press, they could, they could get in touch with me too. So in addition to writing books and being a part of the gerontology, what, what is your role with the gerontology sociology departments? Do you? Um, I, I, I uh, teach classes to undergraduates and to graduate students on aging, and I also teach classes on research methods. And how long have you been doing, how long have you been doing that? How long have you been at KU and how long have you been a gerontological researcher? First, well, I've been a gerontological researcher from, you know, from the womb. Um, <laughs> everyone, everyone becomes a gerontologist eventually, but I've been at KU for the last 32 years okay. and teaching. And I was also at the medical center in Kansas City. Um, trying, we were trying to push knowledge of aging into the curricula over there of the, of the medical, nursing, and allied health schools. Okay. So diverse activism for, for the older adults. Yes. And I've taught in the Osher program. Uh, uh, some of your Lawrence local listeners may be familiar with the Osher Institute on Lifelong Learning. I've, I've taught in that program as well. Are you teaching? Is Osher doing Zoom and online yes, courses now? They, Are you teaching they, any? I haven't taught. I'm not teaching any at the moment. I was teaching a course on the politics of social security, uh, which is a it's a different topic than that. I would say that's a, whole, that's a whole other can of worms. Well, it's all about security and safety in later life. That's how I unify it. Okay. Makes sense. Makes sense. You mentioned when you said that you started doing these interviews during the recession. So that would have been what, 2008, 2009? 2008, 9, 10. Yeah. Okay. Um, and that was, and, and it, it was, it was kind of a background thing, and I think it might have affected people's ability to sell things. They, they realized that things were not selling, um, although it's possible that it, in great times, people also misunderstand what their things are worth and they're not selling. But they were also aware that you know, people who were going to buy their houses uh, might be uh, financially stressed, and they felt the financial stress in their families as well. So from 2008, 9, 10, doing the research to 2020 and publishing a book, is that, um, is that typical for a book based on research and research methods? Um, is it? We were, still, we were still studying and collecting data up to 2014 and 15 and publishing. And there came a point where there was just too much to, to mine in putting it out into individual papers. We also started a separate study, was part of a separate study on the way older people think about their future housing. So do people think that they're going to move and um, why, are, why are they going to move and how do people think about the future in general? And we're doing this with collaborators in four other nations, in Germany, Czech Republic, Hong Kong, and Taiwan. It's, just, it's, a, it's a different thing, but it's all about people's readiness for the future and the extent they're willing to engage in it. You think you get to later life and you have arrived at a resting place. But really, it's a transition to things that are actually going to happen next. It isn't, um, it isn't a stopping place. But people can stop it sometimes in their mind, but they know that change is coming, that things may occur, and 
Um, what do I have to do to get ready for that? So much of that is predicated not only on what you financially can afford, um, what you've thought about in your your mind, but also physically what is happening with you. And you may have thought, oh, I'm going to retire and I'm going to go sailing and I'm going to, and then you have some physical life-changing event that makes your mobility limited um, and affects your finances too. So yeah, it's not really something you can decide ahead of time, is it? You have to kind of live through it. Yeah, sweet. We asked our people, you know, what advice, if people who had moved, you know, what advice would you give? And it really comes down to one thing. Don't wait till it's too late. Start early. So they're ad- ad- advising this advanced downsizing, even though they didn't do it. Um, <laughs> but there is a, probably a point of too late when you wouldn't ha- would not have the stamina and the energy and um, clarity of mind to engage in all of the um, strenuous activity you're going to have to, to do in order to move out of a house. People, many people said this is the hardest move I ever made. It's the hardest thing I've ever done. But I'll tell you what, you get to the end of it, most people are very pleased at themselves for having done it. Was there any um, discussion? I'm always interested by the uh, the commercials for the you know the home health to come into your home agency. Oh, you want to stay in your home as long as you can. Was there any sense that people would prefer to do that if at all possible or or is this moving to an assisted living facility or some other place is that is that what they want to do i mean is there a push for people to stay that do people really want to stay in their home if at all possible and i guess that's a blanket statement so there's probably people that do and people that don't people want to continue to manage independently um, and, and I'm sure everybody would like to be in a home where everything is conveniently located and on one level. There's, there's no step between outside of the house and inside of the house and the doors all have handles that can be manipulated and the cupboards are not too high. Um, but people move in the direction of more safe and secure housing because they sense that they're going to be limited in the future and they're protecting themselves against Um, being stranded in housing that they really can't live in anymore. So what are your thoughts on these strategies where, oh, let's reduce your clutter and you will be happier or increase happiness by focusing more on, you know, what is your opinion as a sociologist on on that, that less is more? Yeah, yeah. But that's a typical self-help mantra, which is that you will find your more authentic happy self if you go use do these practices so if you clean up your house you'll be a happier person never mind it could be a chicken and egg thing there you're not a happy person and you let the house go but um, often if you exercise you will be a happier person if you write more letters in longhand you'll be a happier person if you crochet more well yeah yeah and (laughs) it's it's that's all standard self-help things um and, and, and that's the route that they take. I don't think clutter is the problem with older adults. Um, although the houses can be messy, actually a house can be all squared away and still be a burden on people's minds and the minds of, of the people who live there, but also in the minds of people who um, uh, care for them, family members and perhaps neighbors. So it's not a problem of clutter and it's not a problem of organization. It's a problem of the volume of things that we're uh, uh, accommodating. And can we just, can we continue to do that? 
And feel, as you were saying that, I kind of thought of feel responsible for the more stuff you have, the more sense of responsibility you feel towards your stuff. And, and that um, I think would be a really, you know, big burden that you have, you have this house and all these rooms and you have, even though they're inanimate objects, you have an emotional responsibility to them and getting rid of some of that responsibility is probably pretty freeing, even though it's difficult. Yes. And in, so there's a standard thing that people say about, about the psychology of possessions, which they're um, extended parts of ourselves. They're really um, extend, extensions of ourselves. So when you start to change the possessions, when you get them out and look at them and start to reevaluate what they are, you're in fact changing yourself. You're coming out the other side of um, some of these acts of downsizing as a somewhat different person and a person that's um, perhaps more open to change um, and a person that's satisfied with herself, satisfied with himself. Um, you could be happier for having less. That's a, no, that's a, great, that's a great way to look at it. Um, you know, it's something that you're doing practically, but yeah, by getting rid of these and, and confronting maybe the parts of yourself that no longer serve, by getting rid of your crochet hooks and your scrapbooking supplies, um, you're, you're happier to pursue what interests you in the future. This was a this was a common little anecdote. Um, we've had women talk about when they moved, and I'm thinking in particular to a place where they, they don't have much of a kitchen, or they're not probably going to be cooking a lot. And they talk about they took their service for twelve, and they only brought service for six or four. And this is common, saying I'm you know I I brought service for four, and that's who I am now. I'm, right. I'm somebody who can, who can get by with service for four. I don't need the whole, um, all, all of the equipment to, uh, because I'm not, I'm not hosting people anymore. Right. You, you don't need the seven about, different forks. And, and women, talk about their, women talk about their clothes and their shoes and their, you know, I'm just, that's not me anymore. So um, you can think about downsizing is a step down in life. Um, but I think you should choose to see it as a, step forward in life. Very nice thought. I think that's a, um, a great end to our conversation, unless you have something else that you want to add. Go ahead and um, give the contact information for your book and how to order it. I know you said Columbia University Press, but go ahead and share that again. Okay, so uh, downsizing, confronting our possessions in later life, and Columbia University Press, you can just search for that on the internet. And uh, as a promotion code, CUP30 gets you a 30% discount on the price of the book. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate you coming on our first Zoom version of Good Works in the Heartland. And that concludes our podcast, Good Works in the Heartland. We've been talking with David Eckert, a professor of gerontology and sociology at the University of Kansas, and his book, Downsizing, Confronting Our Possessions in Later Life, available through Columbia University Press. David, thank you for joining us. You're welcome. Good Works in the Heartland podcast is a production of the Audio Reader Network.